All right. Hello, anyone who might be watching. This is the first time I've tried to live stream uh, for Unsafe Space. And thankfully, I have support. Ah, oh, she just dropped off. Uh, well, I have uh, Katrina, uh, S. Misanthrope, about to join in a few seconds. She was there, but I don't know what happened to her. What we're going to do is talk about the Kavanaugh hearings today, but then a little bit more about uh, more the the cultural relevance of it, and and frankly, we wanted to talk about uh, teenage drinking and and rape and consent and that kind of stuff generally, rather than just these specific hearings. Oh, there she is. Hello. Sorry. Hey. Too many. I don't tabs know how you, why you disappeared, but I yeah, I accidentally closed the window when I was trying to close a different one, and I just thought that we wouldn't want things to go too smoothly, you know. That's okay. I mean, uh, I'm lucky I got it to actually work, and I'm pretty sure it's broadcasting. But now it's broadcasting. Yeah, yeah I, I can see it. You can. I can. Okay. See, yeah, I can see it on YouTube. I actually can't. I don't know how to do. Uh, I don't know how to make it automatically switch between people, so I don't know what's going on now. That's fine. Um. Oh yeah, it's not working. doing that, huh? I hope that's working. Okay. Anyway, no, it's not working. <laughs> um, Katrina, I was telling. Whoever might or might not be watching, we are. We want to talk about the Kavanaugh hearings a little bit, but kind of more generally, some cultural issues around uh, drinking, consent, teenage sex, that kind of stuff. Uh, first, though, you didn't you didn't see the hearings today, is that right? I did not see the hearings today. I saw the reactions because that's what we do now. <laughs> we don't watch the original source material; we just see what people say about it online. Exactly. Uh, so that's all that's all that matters, apparently. So um, let me give you a quick recap. Uh, we've got this. The morning was Ford's testimony. The afternoon was Kavanaugh's testimony. I won't go through everything. Uh, the the synopsis is we didn't expect to learn anything new. Right. There was like unless someone admitted they were lying or there was like new corroborating evidence, there was not really going to be any facts or anything like substantial it was all going to be about feelings and how people perceived each of them and in the morning i kind of felt like hmm, ford looked like she she was going to score a win like she came off um very much as a victim she was like, crying and very anxious and kind of uh ah <sighs> Blanche Dubois-ish, right? Everything was very mm -hmm. difficult for her. And, uh, you know, the, the feeling was definitely uh, definitely that she was a, a victim and, and wronged and all that kind of stuff. <clears throat> the afternoon was a surprising rebound for the Kavanaugh supporters because he did not do what I kind of expected, which was for him to be his kind of normal, boring, reserved self. Um, instead, he kind of pulled the Trump and he came out guns blazing, uh, yelled at the Democrats for a farce, uh, vehemently denied everything and spent I mean, his, his opening statement. I feel it was like 30 or 45 minutes. Long. I felt forever. Maybe it wasn't quite that long, but it was long. Um, and he was just, uh, he was a bull. He was a bulldog. And, and he, uh, obviously vehemently denied everything, but came across as really, and he actually cried as well um, about, you know, some of the, the trauma his family has been through. And, and then a weird, I, I never thought I would, I would use uh, Lindsey Graham and badass in the same sentence, but mm -hmm. Lindsey Graham then went off on this rant uh, against the Democrats about how the process was politicized and, and all that kind of stuff. So, at the end, I looked at, um, shit, what's it called? Predict it, I think, where they do uh, betting on stuff like this. And at the end of the day, Kavanaugh was actually up. Uh, so we'll see how that goes. I think there's going to be a vote tomorrow morning in the committee and then on Saturday at noon, a vote in the whole Senate. So, <clears throat> But the, the, the testimony mostly focused on Ford's allegation, although when Kavanaugh was cross-examined, um, in the afternoon by, by the, mostly the Democrats, um, you know, they asked that questions related to, um, Swetnick's allegations, like, are you a serial gang rapist and that kind of stuff? So that's how it went. 
Um, you're familiar with Sweatnik's allegations, right, Katrina? Uh, I think I've lost track of all these things. So was this saying that there was like a gang rape ring at Georgetown or something? <laughs> yeah, so Sweatnik, <clears throat> Sweatnik claimed that, I guess she's a few years older, and this all came out last night. She's um, Avenatti's client, and, and actually it turns out that she had hired uh, Dr. Ford's lawyer years ago for a sexual harassment suit. So a lot of kind of weird connections. But um, she claimed that after she was college age, she went back to parties, house parties with high schoolers for some reason, uh, as, as you do, I guess. Uh, and she said um, much more than 10 times, I think, she went to these parties. But the weird thing is she said at the parties, Kavanaugh and Judge, Mark Judge, his friend, were spiking the punch, getting girls drunk, gang raping them, and the boys, the drunken boys, were lining up to uh, to rape the inebriated women in rooms, and this was a standard practice. And apparently, she she had about a a two year time frame where she was going to these parties, and uh, and then eventually she claimed that she got gang raped. She said that Kavanaugh was there. She didn't explicitly say he did it, but the implication was that he was involved. Um, and uh yeah so that that was Swetnick's uh sworn statement actually last night and so she was he was asked about that today so i want to talk about a couple of those things first first i want to ask something uh, to you katrina because i i feel like an asshole saying this because i'm a guy and maybe i just have my own psychological issues to work to to deal with but ford this morning you know, she came across as like very affected, very anxious, still dealing with the trauma. And, you know, I look back on my life and uh, I had worse things happen to me than someone pin me down and cover my mouth. And I'm not as old as she is. And part of me, as much as I, you know, kind of want to sympathize if it's true, like it, that's horrible. I'm, I'm sorry that happened to her. The other part of me is like, get the fuck over it. Like <laughs> it's 36 years later. Is that, what have you am I just doing? being an asshole? Should she be over it by now? Or should it still be like affecting her severely on a day-to-day -day basis to the point where she can't even talk about the party without crying? Right. I don't totally know how to weigh these things. I think it, you know, like the the economic version of this is basically Marxism, right? Like we have this situation where the weaker you are or the more hurt you are, the more credit you get, the more sympathy you get. So it's almost a disincentive to heal and get better, right? And so people who are psychologically resilient or if they're not, but they put in the work to get over it, um, you know, will not get the kind of sympathy and the kind of platform as someone who's still broken because we all like to see the emotions and the fallout and and that kind of thing right and um you know i don't exactly know what i i almost feel like i my objective assessment is i don't think it should have any bearing on anything at all at least from our sort of perspective right like it has no bearing on credibility because whether you mean something how happened broken or, or emotional she is has no correct how broken or emotional she is or how affected right. she is by what she claims happened has absolutely no bearing on the credibility of the allegation it doesn't feel that way to us but that's the fact because if you tell yourself over and over that something happened to you uh, or if something else happened to you but then you identify it you know, differently, like you, she's could be broken for some completely different reason. And then, you know, this is the story that she's made up. It doesn't make it, you know, more truthful. Uh, if she's not still broken, that doesn't make it less truthful. Um, so it really shouldn't have anything to do with our assessment of whether or not it's true, which is really the only relevant thing here. And I don't know what, like, what bearing it should have on how sorry we feel for someone. I mean, but that, but that gets kind of, that gets into, I think, kind of the narcissism of the internet, like, and and media as a whole, like, as though it matters, like, if I feel sorry for her.
right? Like, like we all feel like we have this obligation to like hear, like you hear this, like she needs to be heard, her voice needs to be heard, we all need to listen. And it's like, you know, she doesn't know, like I can understand how she might think that it will help her to have like the world listen, right? But what that won't actually do anything, right? Like it doesn't matter how much I sympathize. I sympathize with her, right? I'm some person who has nothing to do with her life, who has no effect on her life. And it's all just, you know, a bunch of like narcissistic nonsense for us to pretend like somehow our sympathy matters and well, probably so gets in the way of her actually healing from whatever it is that she needs to heal from. Cause there is something that she needs to heal from. Yeah. I mean, <clears throat> don't get me wrong. I mean, I, part of me does sympathize with her because she clearly was upset unless it was all a big act, which I think is is a stretch, right? But um, so, I, so I get that. But the other part of me is like, I, I don't know. I mean, you're it's been it's been a long time. It's time to get over that um, and and kind of not be so broken by it. So I, I, I don't know. Mike Cernovich, though, brought up something interesting, which is although it's not relevant from a like a a judgmental standpoint about like, who's right or who's wrong and, and truth determination. It is kind of how these things go in terms of kind of the court of public opinion and therefore how senators may vote, which is like how people emotionally respond to testimony. So it has some practical relevance, even if it's not, uh, you know, relevance to an actual assertion of the truth. Right. It definitely does. And that's an unfortunate, you know, sort of state that we're in. I mean, I think to some extent that's human nature and things have always been that way. But I do think that media and these mass platforms have really exaggerated the effect, right? Because like this is something I talk about all the time. Uh, people, in order to accomplish anything, like you used to have to talk to people face to face right? You had to have these interactions and build this network. And you necessarily had these repeated interactions with people. And as a result, people could tell if you were full of shit eventually, right? But now people can do this one-off thing because they can have this national or global platform and they just throw out a story. They can throw it out even under a fake name or anonymously or whatever. And it's all like, oh, believe survivors, believe this, believe that, you know, which is begging the question there, of course. Uh, and you can keep playing that con sort of over and over again. Uh, and I've seen this play out a bunch of times. And I really, like, we really need to figure out how to deal with it, right? Because people, like, there's a lot of money behind this kind of thing, right? Like, people will throw money at someone because they seem credible, but like, you know, a lot of times it's a person where like, if you actually met that person face to face, like within five seconds, you would know that they were crazy, right? Like there's a whole bunch of information Often. that you get when you're face to face in person with someone. And so much has been translated into text, uh, especially, especially a lot of these accusations, right? I mean, I've seen musicians like on the pop punk scene ruined by anonymous comments on blogs from like just someone would just tell a story, would just be like, hey, I was 14 and the singer of this band raped me. I mean, they'll tell a longer story than that, right? And they've literally ruined these musicians. Like they've lost their record deals and like they lost all their fan base. And it was anonymous the entire time. You know, they they denied it. And you know what my, my bet is like in 99 out of 100 of these cases, maybe even, you know, worse odds, worse percentages than that, if you had that person say that story to your face out loud, you would know immediately that they were crazy and that the story had absolutely no credibility. So that's where this is a little bit different because like you said, you kind of watch this person and you think, you know, there's more credibility here. There's no way there wasn't a lot of coaching. Um, and there was obviously a lot of delay tactics going on before even getting her right. up there and like as an attempt to not put her up there at all. And who knows why that is. So I remain pretty skeptical, but I didn't watch it myself either. Um, well, with respect to Ford, um, you know, I think best case is that she is telling the truth, but was massively exploited by the Democrats in order to um, use her story for a delay, right? Um, and, you know, worst case, you know, the woman has, she's actually an expert in, like, sh she practices uh psychology research and has a phd 
if if anyone can know exactly how to present as traumatized, it's probably her. So worst case is she actually has the credentials to scam everyone if she wanted to. I don't necessarily think that's what's happening, and I'm not accusing her of that. Best case is she really believes it. It's it's really a thing whether or not Kavanaugh did it, but the Democrats are clearly using it and 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 frankly betrayed her if she really wanted anonymity and and then was um you know her name was leaked. Yeah, it's a so, big huge mess on so many points. I mean it's I I don't know. I don't know what okay, to say about, about it. Okay, let's talk about gang rape because that's more fun. Can we talk about sure, that? Sure, let's do it. So, I mean, the um I keep forgetting her name, Swetnick. The Swetnick allegations are <clears throat> way more sensational. It I mean, they read like a Pornhub plot. Um and uh I think there's a couple interesting things about that that I don't see the media talking about. And the first one that strikes uh, strikes me is, you know, there's a lot of this talk about these these women being heroic in there. And actually, Ford was called a hero by the Democrats. Um, I imagine if Swetnick showed up, she would be called a hero as well. And I think it's possible to be a victim and an asshole at the same time. And <laughs> I think she is a, even if she is a victim, so I'm talking about Swetnick now, even if she is a victim, she's a horrible human being. And here's why. She went to these parties, way more than 10, according to her. She was an adult. These other people were under 18. They're high school kids. She was at least 19, maybe 20, because she was older. She went to these parties and, and by her description, observed girls underage girls getting drugged or you know their their drinks spiked and then gang raped by guys as a regular occurrence at these parties and you know we can ask gee why'd she keep going to these parties that's a valid question but to me the more important question is why the hell didn't she call the cops what kind of a bitch watches girls get gang raped at every party she's at and just doesn't say anything for a year. A year until it allegedly happens to her. But I mean, what a horrible individual. The number of girls, if she's telling the truth, the number of girls that she uh, basically shares responsibility for being raped is, is probably in the dozens just because she didn't say anything. And not only did she not say anything, she continued to go to the parties and drink herself, which makes her pretty much complicit in all of this. Thoughts? Right. Well, my main thought is I think her story is completely fake, of course. Um, but yeah, and I think everyone knows it, which is why they're not asking this very obvious question. Um, but, you know, Mullen, you brought this up, uh, talking about the original Ford accusation, right, of like, Hey, if someone did rape you, like think about the fact that like they'll probably do it again. So maybe, you know, at some point toughen up, you know, before 36 years later, like toughen up and uh, you know, tell law enforcement or tell somebody. Uh so like I don't know, like I've thought a lot about this and I like I can give an example from my own life, right? So uh when I was 16, I was in a summer program abroad. And there was a teacher, happened to be a Muslim male, uh, who very aggressively tried to get me to sleep with him. Um, and, you know, it was, it was because it was so obvious and direct and I had no relationship with him, there wasn't really any risk, right? Like, he came and kind of hit on me and I was like, okay, like, well, anyway, bye. <laughs> like, you know, um, but he was pretty aggressive. Um, and, it, you know, so there are a couple of kind of instances incidents like that and on the last night uh we were having kind of a party and i was you know dressed kind of skimpily and he happened of course as soon as i walked out he's the first person i ran into and he starts up his thing again and i'm so like freaked out that i like just go back up i'm like make an excuse and i go back up to my room and i you know my initial plan is like i'm just gonna stay in my room like all night and then you know finally i was like no this is stupid like i should be able to go to this party. So I'm going to go report him. Uh, and I did. And when they found him, he was 
very uh, even more aggressively than with me trying to get another girl to come back with him and doing it in a way that was like, I'm going to leave now and then you come in five minutes kind of thing where he knew he was breaking the rules, right? Like by doing this, like this wasn't some, it wasn't like there was some misunderstanding. So he got caught red handed and, you know, was fired. I mean, it was the last day. So whatever. And I don't know what else happened to him. Um, technically none of this would have been illegal in the country that it happened. It was just against the rules of the program. Uh, I don't think there was a single moment that the thought crossed my mind that he might victimize someone else or attempt to victimize someone else. Uh, and I, and I keep thinking about it and I don't know why I didn't think about that. I mean, to be fair, he never, it never actually got to the point where it's like a crime was committed, right? It was, you know, he never actually, he, yeah, like it was never going to be, a, it was not going to be a crime. It would have been a crime in the United States because of the ages in most, in most States, but you know, not in this country, but I don't know. It just didn't, it didn't cross my mind. And then when they found that it, him in the middle of doing that, and then of course a bunch of other stories come out from other girls in the camp who are like, oh yeah, like he said this to me, he, would, he cornered me here, he was being super creepy. And we were just like, oh, like, wow, this was like this huge thing, right? And you hear this like so often. I mean, you know, I have a, I have a friend whose mom like had kind of the same thing. Like, and in that case, she was actually raped, right? Like a guy raped her in college and she didn't say anything about it. And then she found out later, you know, there's like this whole string of victims and she's not generally, as far as I know, like she's not an immoral person. She's not such a self-centered person that she wouldn't think about these things. Um, even Karen Strawn, right. Had some, um, you know, guys attempted to rape her and she didn't report it or say anything about it. Uh, so, I mean, unfortunately, all of this is just to kind of say, I don't know. Now, I think you're correct in your assessment of the morality there, uh, right? I mean, that's, it's supremely fucked up, especially if you're not putting yourself at risk, right? I mean, uh, I well, know it, people it, who have reported crime, between... it's like, if I report this crime, yeah. the police will not arrest this person or will not hold them long enough. That person lives in my neighborhood. They know where my daughters go to school and they'll seek revenge, Right. So in order to keep my family safe, I'm going to not report this crime and, you know, try to exit the situation differently. I totally get that. But that's not what these things are. They're not like, oh, I thought about reporting it, but I was scared or like whatever. It's like I think I legitimately think you just don't think about other people. Um, and I don't and I don't know, maybe I'm a bad person, too. No, <laughs> in no, that. Cases that you're describing, though, are um, you've had some trauma done to you right and so um you can make the argument um as as stefan did about you know <clears throat> ford should have reported because 35 years uh went by and, and kavanaugh could have been doing this to other people but it was after her trauma and and maybe you're not thinking about that but in swetnick's case she had had no trauma she was just at parties watching this happen True. and yeah that's me, bizarre that seems like it's, that. it's worse because there's no you know, you, you have no nothing that you're dealing with. It's just you watching this happen and not reporting it. I agree. Yeah, and that, I mean, if her story is true, which again, it's completely not. I, there's no way. It's just ridiculous. But I mean, in that case, I have actually zero sympathy for her as the quote unquote victim in the rapes. As far as I'm concerned, that's karma. I'm sorry. That's no. Okay. So then we're going to get actually up. to my, what I wanted to talk about, which is uh, to what extent does alcohol consumption and there's deliberate alcohol consumption. We'll start with deliberate alcohol consumption. Cause I think that's different. Um, and to what extent does that change consent? And I know a lot of the, the, the community, the, the kind of sex positive community and the people that talk about consent, they would say, well, even if you've intentionally gotten yourself drunk, um, you're not giving consent. Even if you say you're, even if you say yes at that point, it's the onus is on the other person to recognize that you're inebriated and are incapable of, uh, of granting consent. What's your view on that? Uh, well, you know, Ford gave her a little spiel about like where trauma is stored in the brain or something like that. And like norepinephrine and blah, blah, blah. Uh, as far as, you know, people generally kind of draw the line at like, oh, you're blackout drunk uh, or something like that's the point where you, people are like, oh, yeah, you definitely can't consent. Uh, there's absolutely no way to tell that someone is blackout drunk. It's impossible. It varies massively person to person. Uh, I have a friend who literally every time she drinks, she blacks out. Um, and that's because of medication that she's on. Uh, and you obviously would never know it, right? If you watched her and you were like, oh, she had one drink, she can't possibly 
even be drunk, let alone blackout drunk. Um, she is <laughs> like, she won't remember that after. Um, and you know, and she would tell you herself, you know, like whatever she does, like while she's drinking is her responsibility. Uh, and especially in this case, cause she, she knows, like she knows that this means she's not going to remember it. Um, I generally don't black out. I blacked out one time, uh, and it scared the shit out of me. And I didn't ever get to that point again. Um, but you know, even having gone through that, like I hold myself to exactly the same standard. It's like, I voluntarily consumed whatever it was and I'm responsible for my behavior from that point on, including, you know, things that I said. And unless you want to just say, well, not even then, cause it's like, even if you said it's like, you know, all drunk sex is just like verboten and no one is ever going to do this. And, you know, under any circumstances, we'll never, ever do it. You can't even tell when some people are drunk. Like I know functioning alcoholics, you know, I know people where it's like they've had 12 beers like today and you wouldn't know. Right. Like until they crash their car or something. Right. Um, so it is way, way, way too variable. And the law, I'm sorry, like the law has to be objective. There has to be some clear way to draw lines. And I know we talk about these things where it's like, oh, it's so, you know, it's dumb to make the age of majority is like eight is 18. Some people aren't ready at 18 and some people like are ready at 16 or whatever. And it's like, yeah, like, you know, that's great. That's true. You're absolutely right. Like there's nothing magic about 18 other than it needs to be objective and it needs to work for like probably the vast majority of people. Um, so yeah, like, I'm sorry, <laughs> like you consume this stuff yourself. It's not a secret, like what alcohol does. Right. I mean, you can see, uh, there are eight year olds who, if you tell them like, Hey, act drunk, like they know how to act. <laughs> right. Like we know what this stuff does. That says a we, lot about their family life. We've been, <laughs> we've been, or they watch TV or whatever, you know, but like we, you know, we've had uh, these substances for quite a long time <laughs> in our species. And, uh, so you can't claim, you know, unless you were raised in like a, a weird like bubble um you 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 know so that's it as far as i'm concerned i don't know what do you say well so i i guess my question is you know is there a difference between kind of moral responsibility and causal responsibility and, and what i mean by that is like so if if someone's drinking a lot and let's say they've done it intentionally they've gotten themselves drunk and um and and therefore they uh, are consenting to things while they're drunk that they wouldn't normally consent to, Which right? Is the and point someone of else drunk. is taking advantage of them. <laughs> I, I and and they've put themselves in a situation where let's say you're at a house party and everyone's drunk and gang raping people and you decide to drink. Um, at that point, you know I, I wouldn't take. You know I'm not suggesting that the 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 rapist is morally absolved from this. I would say that they're morally responsible for taking advantage of you. However, you're kind of responsible in a practical way for putting yourself in that situation. And um, it's something that we don't talk about with, and it's something that I think about with my daughter, right? It, you know, cause someone asked me how I would, what, you know, what I would do if this was my daughter, if this happened to my daughter, and, and that can be a whole separate issue that you and I will talk about another time. But, um, you know, the, <laughs> There's, there's the like, yes, it's their fault, but you know, you accept not moral responsibility, but kind of practical responsibility for putting yourself in a situation where um, that could happen to you. And, and especially if you do it intentionally, at least that's kind of my, my perspective, but I never see people separate those two thoughts. You mean separate, sorry. So we're separating separate like, like moral responsibility right so so there's this kind of it's the it's the classic like don't blame the victim thing and, and i'm not saying blame the victim from a moral perspective but you can okay, kind of right. chastise the victim for being an idiot i guess is my right, point. right right so i mean just to be clear i think that if you're drunk even if you're falling down drunk stumbling drunk and someone's like hey why don't you come have sex with all five of us and you say okay then it's not rape and they're not rapists. And so I'm assuming we're talking about a part where it's like, you're like, oh no, I don't want to do that. But you have no real ability to fight them off. And so like, they go ahead and do it anyway. Um, in that case, like- Or you don't respond or, or whatever, like you just kind of- Yeah, if someone's non-responsive. I mean, I think if someone's unconscious, like legally that should be rape. Although it, it can be hard, like people can fall asleep during and stuff that does get fuzzy. Um, sure. But yeah, in and general- in some of the situations you're also talking about the perpetrators- being also drunk. And so you're asking them to make a their, yeah, their judgment ability to call judge on someone else's state yeah. of inebriation. 
I think we have some clear cut cases, which is like the person is passed out, totally non-responsive when you come into a room, right? Like they're asleep on the bed and they don't wake up and they don't respond and you just go and have sex with them or something. Right. Uh, so that's rape. Like that's that, that clearly seems rape. bad. That's um, bad. right. And you know, I'd say that, I don't know. I, yeah, I wish I, I wish I had better terminology for talking about the causal part because like, I guess here's how I'd put it in general. Like we like to talk about rights. I like the concept of rights. I like all these things, but you only it, like in practical, actual reality, you only have the rights that you can protect for yourself or you can get other people to protect for you. Right. There's not like a magical shield created by like my right to bodily integrity or my right to property or anything like that, that prevents people from, you know, physically hurting me or stealing my stuff uh, or whatever. The thing that prevents that is, you know, my ability to fight them off, my ability to avoid them, uh, my ability to call the police and have you know them fight them off or something like that. And, you know, then discouraging them because of consequences, you know, that kind of thing. Um, and I think we've tried to carve out or, you know, feminists or whoever have tried to carve out this one weird area where like, because of the sexual revolution, right? Because we want people to be promiscuous fundamentally, right? Like the cultural Marxists want people to be promiscuous. So in order to do that, they tried to concoct like this, this fantasy in people's head that like, unlike locking your car doors, unlike keeping your purse close to you, you know, unlike uh, basically everything, like building key cards for security and, and password protection on your email or whatever, when it comes to like the ultimate invulnerability, <laughs> right like like being a physically weaker like female who has made herself even weaker by being drunk and probably wearing heels or something like impractical clothing and being in an environment where like you know there's probably no adults you know present to like intervene your parent you know you don't have a chaperone or anything like that somehow in that circumstance we're supposed to be like almost like just like magically protected <laughs> Just, just magic, right? And right. that is, I mean, when you when you kind of lay it out like that, it's like it's obviously insane. Like it's obviously insane. And it's kind of like I get. I mean, I guess my answer to it is kind of like, yeah. Like, should you be able to do this? Like, yeah. Here, like in a perfect world, you know, you should be able to pass out like anywhere on the entire planet. And other than, you know, exposure to the elements, like be fine. Like no one should mess with you. They shouldn't steal your purse. You know, they shouldn't like, you know, stick a finger up your butt, like whatever, whatever it's going to be. But everyone knows that's not the world we live in, right? Everybody knows this. Like, and you know that because if the exact same thing happened, like if someone pat, like if someone passed out at a party and all that happened to them was someone stole their purse. Like no one would just be like, oh my God, that's so awful. Oh my God, I can't believe someone stole your purse. Like, oh my God, that's like, we live in a purse stealing culture. And like, the, we need to like teach people like not to steal purses. And we need to like have a special session at the beginning of every school year to remind people like not to steal purses of people who are past, you know, like, come on, <laughs> come yeah, on, I mean, no, I, no. We're actually drawing the line that I'm talking about, which is like the person who stole the purse in your example is still morally responsible, but you're not being practical in your own kind of personal security and you're not to blame for it, but uh, you can be kind of chastised for, for being an idiot. Yeah. Well, we can't, you know, we can't call women idiots because that would be some sort of bigotry, I guess. And uh, you know, we can't really so just have irresponsible. How's that? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you get the idea that women are responsible for like what some terrible male does to them. I don't know. I don't know about that. Uh, <laughs> I, God, they want. I'm not saying they're responsible. I'm no, saying no, no, they, they, they had sarcastic. irresponsible <laughs> behavior for putting themselves in a situation. But the moral, uh, the 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 moral. Um, credit or Bonus, not credit, debit yeah. goes to the perpetrator. Right. Like that, that part doesn't change. Right. And I, and I do think like from my perspective on morality, there is a moral component that applies to the victim because I do think it is, you know, as if we think of morality and ethics as like a set of tools that you need in order to live successfully, uh, reckless disregard for your own safety 
is certainly not going to help you survive, right? And, and live successfully on the planet. Um, so I do think there is a moral failing there. Um, like I would use the moral word, but it doesn't apply. Like that moral failing existed regardless of whether or not the rape occurred. I'll put it like that, right? Right. So you right. showed, you drove drunk, but you got home fine, but you did something immoral, uh, right? Because not, That's fair. That's not fair. only because you put other people at risk by driving, but because you put yourself at risk, um, you know, where you weren't, um, you didn't have enough self-respect basically um, to. So it doesn't decrease the moral responsibility of the other person, but you're also, ha you also have some moral responsibilities. Correct. Your yeah. Person. They're almost okay. like two separate, they're two completely separate things. Um, now I, so I completely reject, you know, these things where people are like, oh, uh, you know, and I don't know too many people who sincerely mean this. Right. But it's like the, the frame of like, well, you are making yourself like too tempting of a target, just like in general, not specifically to criminals, but just in general, because, because everyone would do these bad things if they thought they could get away with it, or if the bar was low enough or something like that, um, that I certainly reject. Um, right. and I think that's that, like stop wearing the skirt kind of thing. Yeah. That's where you get into that sort of territory. Right. And I, you know, right. the, where that thing came from that inspired the slut walk. Right. I mean, there was a guy was, there was a guy who was going around and he was like grabbing girls in skirts and sticking his finger up their skirt. I believe. Uh, and oh, the, really? the sheriff, yeah, yeah, and the sheriff was like, you know, you guys should stop wearing skirts for like until we catch this guy. Right. Which is a horrible response. But yes. I don't know. I mean, like that that I mean, would solve it, right? Say, it's a practical response. It's a practical <laughs> response, but it's a I failing mean, <laughs> of law enforcement to have to say that. Um, I don't know. I mean, like cuz no? you I mean, it takes time to catch someone, right? I mean, and they did like eventually catch him. It's not like uh it's, and they it's not like they weren't trying. I mean, they were sending out female officers in skirts like deliberately to try and attract him. Um, right, in order to catch him and stuff like that. Uh, the same way, you know, they do send out you know, female like fake hookers and all that other stuff. Um okay. So, I don't wait, know. so you're I saying mean, so it's just I don't a know practical like, hey, this heuristically will work for the time being. It, right. Yeah. He certainly than wasn't you shouldn't saying, wear a short skirt. Don't it's wear skirts like, like ever thing. again, because like, who knows when this might happen again? It was like, there's one guy, this is his thing. You know, he won't do it if you're not wearing a skirt. So maybe just like, wait, like until we catch him to wear skirts again, right. you know, was, and similar things like happened, uh, like, uh, you know, they, we know that people target like Amazon packages or whatever. Right. So it's like, oh, during the holidays, maybe have your packages shipped to work. So people aren't like motivated to come sure. steal them from your porch. It's like, yeah, okay. Like, and that they're even less likely to catch those people uh, right. than this guy. So um, yeah, like, I mean, I think everyone has to kind of judge like where the point of risk is. Right. So that's the other thing. It's like, obviously you're, you're, you're taking risks all the time. Uh, you know, whether you leave your house or not, um, there's some sort of risk happening. Um, so there's like risks that are smarter and less smart to take. There's also the fact that people don't like to talk about this, but like the fact that you're taking a risk is sometimes what makes it kind of fun, right? Like sure. you're consuming right. the alcohol maybe in order to, be... to not care <laughs> yeah. about the risk so much. Uh, right. And that is kind of fun, you know, as someone, you know, I, <laughs> I think I, did I actually fall asleep? I came really close to falling asleep, like in a nightclub in South Beach <laughs> one time. And I wasn't sure. even, I wasn't drinking. It was just 3 a.m. and I was tired because it was like, it was, that was too much. I was trying to stay up all night. It didn't work. Um, and, I mean, yeah. you know, and, no and one messed with me, but, but it's like, like. You and I both know women, maybe some of whom that I've dated, uh, who've like intentionally maybe worn stuff that was risky just kind of for the thrill of it, right? Um, and I'm, I'm saying risky, like, you know, maybe not wearing underwear under a skirt and going out or something that's like, probably not a great idea generally, but the risk was the thrill in the first place. Yeah. Yeah. And then, I mean, there's, then there's the question, I guess, at what point does that kind of cross the line into pathological, uh, like really damaging, um, right. or damaged behavior. And, uh, you know, the, the only person I ever heard of at my university who even claimed to have gotten raped, although there's no police report or anything like that, uh, was someone who went around like, and had sex with homeless people, like outside in the snow. Um, something happened to her, 
she was probably raped like when she was a kid or something, you know, like um, she had like major, major issues, right? So what you'd hear is like, oh, there was a girl who was raped at a frat party. She was getting raped at a frat party and like nothing, you know, they got away with it and uh, you know, it's all, it's so terrible. And then you kind of look into these things and you're like, oh, you know, you have this picture of like innocence, little like American girl just goes off to college and has one too many drinks, like her first time at a frat party. Uh, but the real story is more like, you know, the the nonsense made up by this other woman accusing Kavanaugh, right? It's like, oh yeah, I went to this place where I knew people were being raped uh, and I got myself blackout drunk there like 10 times. And you know, the 10th time, like I got raped. Right. And it's like, right. okay, well, cool story, I guess. Like it's not, we want we want people to believe, and this is this goes back to that RK stuff, right? Uh, we want people to believe that this stuff is random and unpredictable. Uh, and when I say we, I mean you know powers that be, cultural Marxists, like people who want to control you, right? They want you to believe that these threats are random and you can't do anything about them, and they could have just as easily affected you as anyone else. And the actual fact of the matter is that that's not the case. Most of the time, the people to whom bad things are happening are people who are making other mistakes that increase the likelihood of bad things happening to them. Um, so why is that? Is it just because they want to uh, promote a, a narrative that there is a rape culture and that uh, you know <clears throat> all males are evil rapists? Or is there something deeper to, uh, to the idea that they, they want you to feel like it could happen to anyone? I think it's deeper. Um, I think it's, I mean, at the deepest sort of biological level, it is a reproductive strategy, uh, right? So the more you make people just indiscriminately afraid of everything, the more disarmed they are, right? And and you know this from, um, is his name Becker, right? The the book, Gavin DeBecker, Gavin DeBecker, right? Talks about this, right? If you are afraid of everything, you may as well be afraid of nothing because you physically can't treat everything as a threat effectively, right? Right. Like you'll you'll just cripple yourself and your ability to respond to actual threats. And if you want to control people, uh, that's a great state to have them in uh, because they're completely helpless. And more importantly, they won't identify you as a threat, uh, right? So if you actually are a predator, you you also want, you know, people would think that predators want people to be trusting, but they don't. Predators want people to all be afraid all the time. Because well, and because, because you can't be afraid all the time and that ends up numbing your senses generally and therefore exactly. you're not watching, you can't see them coming. Exactly, right. Yeah. And if you are, you know, pursuing this sort of reproductive strategy, like if you're R-selected and you want there to be more R-selected people, well, the people who are more attuned to fear, right, who have more developed amygdala are the K-selected types. And if there's just this whole world of threats out there, then K-selected people aren't going to be looking to have, you know, throwing out a whole bunch of kids like into this world full of like right. uncontrollable threats, right? Our selected people are kind of wired for exactly that environment. Our selected people are like, yeah, the world's random and, you know, people just kind of bad stuff happens randomly to some people, but it's cool because that's why, you know, I have 12 kids so that I have like two to spare or whatever. So let's just, can we just really quickly go over the, the RK selection theory because not, maybe not everyone doesn't know, but really quickly, you can think of the R R reproductive strategy is kind of like the rabbits, right? They they have as as many offspring as they can. Um, Some of the rabbits get picked up by a hawk in the middle of the the grass field and the other rabbits kind of, yeah, you know, whatever. There's there's more rabbits. Uh, There's plenty of grass, right? There's there's enough. So there's like high, um, a high amount of, of, of resources, but also there's predation that is somewhat random. And so the strategy there is is mass reproduction. And then there's the K strategy, which is maybe more like um, the wolf or something, where uh, there there is actually scarce resources. Uh, There's often a high amount of investment in each offspring because you have to maybe teach them to hunt or be able to communicate with a pack or that kind of thing. And so you have fewer offspring but there's more invested in each offspring and you have scarce resources that need to be um kind of ferreted out it takes it takes effort and work and training to be able to acquire those resources is that a kind of a a decent overview did i miss anything yep no that's that's the core summary for for sure on the off chance that someone watching this isn't familiar with it which you guys probably are but uh, anonymous conservative 
Com, I believe, is a site that goes over how all this applies to humans and politics. Um, but yeah, basically, I mean, we, and we've all kind of seen this, right? I mean, it's it's pretty well known. You're like, oh, rich people like only have a couple of kids. Poor people have a bunch of kids. You know, there's a whole movie, Idiocracy, about how that, you know, could have this dysgenic effect. Uh, in general, that doesn't actually happen. Um, you know, there's nothing wrong with, you know, the, the solution to this. Like, I hear it a lot where they're like, oh, have big families, you know, so we can compete or something. That's not the solution. Like, <laughs> having few kids and investing a lot of them makes it makes a lot of sense, and it works <laughs> as a reproductive sure. strategy. But in, in, a, in a society that's not a free market. Correct. Uh, you you end up with uh, dysgenic pressure to um, actually have fewer the K selected have fewer and fewer kids and the R selected have have more and more. Correct, um, which, and that's what's so interesting about uh you know sort we're talking about threat identification, right? Uh, it's it's really hard to tell. Like like I think you can see this immediately in certain people. Like the classic leftist big fear is like war, right? Or like nuclear annihilation or something like that. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that, that isn't very likely, you know, as a source of, of human demise. Right. I understand it, but even if it did come from like nuclear war, it wouldn't be the war part, it would be the nuclear part, right? Uh, in other words, like the threat being technology. Um, so for instance, like the Black Death was certainly a significant threat to man, like we could have been wiped out from that. Uh, that was effectively the result of technology that the plague wouldn't have been able to spread here if we weren't able to travel more of the world uh, and you know bring these diseases around. Same thing with diseases brought to the new world and, and back from the new world. Um, you know, when it comes down to it, it's really these technological innovations uh, that, that could be the undoing. I'd be very interested to see uh, you know, some modeling, I guess, of where this type of thing can go. But these dysgenic pressures can only build because of like the the innovations that we've made, right? It's like, it's like a, well, I mean, that's kind of what Atlas Shrugged is all about in a way. Um, you know, it doesn't become explicitly sort of about genetics, but it's like, there's a small subset of the population, right? That develops technology that allows the rest of it to survive and flourish. Uh, right. And, and, how many iterations of that can you have before the you know the people who are doing the innovating just are effectively wiped out um right. you know or at least uh genetically become so minor and we don't know how that we don't know how that works basically right i mean there's um there's some evidence that uh it doesn't matter that geniuses tend not to even have any kids uh, that we just have sort of programs into the species like this uh, mechanism for producing geniuses, uh, whether or not the geniuses themselves reproduce because it is so beneficial to the species as a whole. And they'll just kind of pop up like at the time when we need them. So we have um, high enough variance in our IQ distribution that geniuses will happen basically. Right, yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, and you know, it'll just keep getting passed along because it's so beneficial to the species. Um, but then, you know, there's other, there's other things you see where it's like, well, but average IQs are going down um, over time in some cases. And, uh, you know, we, we haven't been able to measure enough of this, I think, for long enough to know, sure. like, what's actually going to happen. We, I'm so far off topic. I'm sorry. Katrina, we're on IQs now. We, we started with gang rape. Right. Gang rape, bad. IQ, good. <laughs> gang gang rape, bad. Don't. Is that your summary? That's my summary. Gang rape, bad. No, I mean, let's see. Like, what, what would be, like, a good summary to have, right? Like, taking these stories just sort of at face value, um, you know, I think, like, let's say that they're all true. And it's like, yeah, so you need to take some personal responsibility for your own safety. And when you know that other people are at risk, you know, and you can do something about it, right? Like do it. Like right. it's not that complicated, right? right? I mean, if well, you talk about I mean, like an art selected perspective. It's just kind of like, oh, you know, there's like a one in thirty chance I'll be the one gang raped tonight. But meh. <laughs> like, yeah, but get, give me a beer. Um, <laughs> but I mean, at the beginning, you you said something about this, and and and, and I think it's maybe a point to drive home, which is <clears throat> this isn't about who feels more believable from an emotional perspective, who's more, who looks more broken or who's more kind of emotionally convincing. Um, you know, you really just have to strip it down to, you know, what are the facts and 
and what can be corroborated and, and not to, you know, beat a dead horse. Cause I think this has been on Twitter, you know, every day for the past two weeks, but you know, this idea that there's a, a presumption of innocent until proven guilty, uh, this presumption of innocence is, is really important when actually evaluating how you're going to act on that. And it's totally okay. And, and this is my position. Uh, I think it's totally okay to say, Hey, I, I, uh, I sympathize with you, Dr. Ford and anyone else who, who says that this, they've had these problems that, you know, they had, they were attacked by Katrina. I guess you left. Uh, I sympathize with you, but at the same time, um, you can't ask me to then take action against another person because there is not corroborating evidence. Uh, and that's the standard that's needed in order to, um, to actually take action against someone else. So you can sympathize with, with both Brett Kavanaugh and Dr. Ford. I don't know if Katrina is coming back, uh, our few viewers that are here. So I, I may just, uh, I may just let her, let her hang out. We were going to go a lot less time. We were going to go about a half an hour. We ended up almost, uh, almost a full hour. So, uh, Katrina, you can follow her at S Misanthrope on Twitter. And she does have a YouTube channel under the same name. I don't know the URL, but uh, I'll paste it. Um, I'll paste it underneath this video in case you want to follow her. Probably anyone watching this is coming from her channel because uh, Unsafe Space is just starting it. And uh, and we're still trying to get some subscribers. So please go ahead and, and like and subscribe to Unsafe Space. Uh, you can follow us at Unsafe Show on Twitter or you can go to unsafeshow.com and we'll be having more of these conversations with Katrina and other people. Um, the idea here is that we, we're going to talk about things that are difficult to talk about. So if you've got uh, ideas or stuff that you want to be addressed, um, stuff that you want to talk about, just go to unsafeshow.com and, and let us know. So thanks again, everyone, and uh, have, a good, uh, have a good evening.